0: license to thrill proudly presented by camp crystal lake swimming boating adventure enjoy your summer at camp crystal lake i am Ryland grant screenwriter ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like aberrant Banjax, and now suicide jockeys the other voice in the dark the man in the box to the left is
1: david avaloni uh, filmmaker comic book writer drunken reprobate
0: Love it, love it, love it. If you missed any of our previous Conversations uh, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Cecil Castellucci, John Lehman, and many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks, so double on back and check it out. Um, Great show for you guys today, but Avalon, why don't we pimp some books first?
1: Sure. The the commercial part of the program in... August, I think it's actually August 4th, uh, Elvira Meets Vincent Price hits your local comic book store. Be sure to run on down and pick up your copy.
0: And Love it. And, Island. and my uh, my new bonkers uh, tokusatsu joint uh, titled Suicide Jockeys uh, is available for pre-order right now. That hits uh, shops the end of August, but go down to your LCS, tell me you want the whole series, Signing up for it. It's uh, awesome um so yeah let's bring them on
1: excellent our guest today rodney and kevin yo rodney barnes tell the tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself i am rodney
2: barnes i am primarily a television and film writer but i
1: also write comic books as well very nice and kevin
3: yeah, i am am a I'm a co-founder and publisher of Appy Thing Comics. We are an imprint of BMIT Comics, and I'm a, as well the ad ed- editor of licensing titles uh, at BMIT. And uh, I also write comics, freaks know, and uh, other thing to
1: come. <laughs> nice. Uh, so you know, we all uh, were today. We were going to talk about licensed comics, and you know, one of the biggest things I've worked on the last few years is Elvira Comics. And when i when it was first proposed that i write them i honestly didn't uh know what the hell i was going to do with it and i was a little 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 at sea about what tone to take and how to go about it and my artist pal uh, dave acosta sent me covers of like 1950s and 1960s jerry lewis comic books and bob hope comic books and among other things i mention that in this context because licensed comics have been part of the industry from the beginning they have been a thing that has like star wars saved marvel in the late 70s early 80s uh and then came back and did it again in the 21st century uh so it's a big part of how we do things and um so i wanted to start off by asking kevin how did you get involved in doing these kind of comics and uh what was your interest in it attraction to it etc um,
3: it started with one book, which is this one right here that PMN published Uh, That was my first graphic novel that I did release. And, uh, you know, it's the type of relationship with PMN that I knew and they knew at the first phone call in five seconds that we were like a match in heaven. You know, we, we were really on the same page of all to market books and all are just the taste of what we love. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they did grab the book, what I said, it's just like, hey, guys, I'm actually working my own publishing company, so what if uh, we make it as an imprint and, and that's all we did build for uh, the happy thing books and for everything that license is just fun. You know, at some point I think that as creative peoples, we are all fans, first of all, of, of stuff. And, and for me, why I'm doing license is just like making some child dreams at some point of working on shit that I love, you know, sure. and I, I, I think that's the, the and, and of course that make money because that's <laughs> anything that is created is to make, money at some point uh so as a publisher and a creator as well it's always to balance that thing you know what is commercial enough that we can make uh revenue with it but at the same time make something that will connect uh, and we will have fun to to have with because I, I i think that any project that doesn't have passion into it we know it with the first page So it's really important that this doesn't get into too much into the money side and we have uh, the
1: passion with it you know sure jaron rodney you get- You're up for an Eisner this year for Philadelphia? I am. Is that right? That's very exciting. And that's a completely completely original book. Yep. And yet with that, you really want to do a Blackula book. Yeah, I do. Uh,
2: I love Blackular since I was nine years old, and it scared the hell out of me. i would never sure. seen black people with fangs before. kind um, <laughs> of. So sure. It kind of made me happy, because uh, uh-huh. I'd only seen white guys with fangs before. So, sure.
1: Um, the great you know, William Marshall, the king of cartoons, as he is go. known by many people.
2: There you go. Um, so being able to license that and uh, take a crack at... Uh, You know his legacy has been fantastic, and also the stuff with dynamite. You know the same thing. I guess we're cousins with Army of Darkness and James Bond. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and I've just finished another Star Wars book. So I guess that counts in there too. And I'm doing another Star Wars book. So,
1: yeah, a Star Wars book for Marvel or a Star, yeah, Wars, for Star Wars book? Yeah, for Marvel.
2: Oh, great. Yeah, for awesome. Marvel. Um, right.
1: You did the Lando book. Is that right? I did the
2: Lando book. I'm doing. Um, that was a fun
1: book. I like that.
2: Thank you. I'm doing yeah. one of the War of the Bounty Hunters one shots and then um, another series that they probably would get angry if I. Mentioned. sure
1: so <laughs> the yeah. very i i i wonder if something that i created is coming back into the canon because it keeps floating around the outside of it my very first writing job ever was some short stories for the star wars role-playing game okay which in 1989 was the only star wars new material that was out there wow and the first thing i did was called was a, a story that got turned into something called battle of the bounty hunters okay and, and about Boba Fett and IG-88. I thought IG-88 is smart when he fails to get the bounty on Han Solo in Bespin. What he does is he waits for Boba Fett in the orbit of Tatooine when he's coming to see Jabba with the Han Solo coffee table. And he jumps him and they have a dogfight in outer space and he loses because he's not Boba Fett. Uh, but that was uh, that's literally the first thing I ever got paid to write. My uh, one shot is IG-88. There you go. We are. We are. We are. We are. brothers in the franchise. There you go. Yeah,
0: there you, <laughs> go. And, 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 you know, and and, and I, I mean, I was sitting here thinking on this, uh, um, you know, thinking on this topic, and and particularly thinking about your situation, Rodney, because you know, here you are. Um, i mean you 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 create this you know incredible original series that is like a flagship at image now and um and you know it's 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 up for eisner's now uh you are uh an executive producer on the lakers a uh, 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 tv series you know and so a lot of stuff going on right uh mm-hmm. and in comics you can do most anything you want to do and so the obvious question becomes like okay well why is he you know it's blackula and army of darkness and like that that's an amazing choice to make and I love every second of it and I've been exploring it. And, and you and I are sort of cousins, uh, you know, karmic cousins, uh, uh, in in this case also, um, because, you know, I mean, a lot of people have, uh, you know, my, my my last two books, my, uh, uh, two books ago, one, a Ringo, my last one was up for four Ringo's, uh, that starts to happen. And then people start coming in and saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, in your wildest dreams, what do you want to do? And everybody expects you to, insert the name of Marvel hero here, insert the name of, 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 you know, of DC hero here. And everybody expects at the very least to be like, Oh, well moon Knight would be pretty cool and blah, 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 blah. And you know, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't sneeze at that. Obviously Uh, at that opportunity, I would find a way to, uh, to embrace that and love that. But I don't know that it's where my heart is. Um, I, I, for a while, I answered that question with kind of a can response. Oh, moon Knight would be cool. Um, at some point, and maybe it was even like, I don't know if I was in the middle of a con panel or if I was on this show or something like that. And I realized, like, if I could do absolutely anything in comics, if I had my druthers, if I could pick one thing, I would write a I would write a Karate Kid Cobra Kai story. <laughs> IDW has it now. I don't care who has it. Johnny Lawrence is my spirit animal. Uh, more than anything i want to write a johnny lawrence story and that is my comic stream uh and so so i i get it 100% and I, and, I, and i've i've been thinking about that like why is you know why why is rodney barnes why why is his greatest comic dream to do B- black Hula? why is my greatest comic dream totally to do it. uh yeah. You know, it, 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 to do uh, to do Johnny Lawrence, and it's like, okay, so I mean, the certain thing is like, it's a nostalgia thing. We grew up with yeah. these things; they affected us deeply. Um, I mean, part of the reason that we are creators now is because stuff like that brought mm-hmm. us here, right? We fell in love with it back then. And, and, and now like now we're the few that actually get to kind of create things that sort of move people in that same way. So, so that's part of it also. But I wonder if, if, if the fact that we've both worked in Hollywood like extensively for the last, you know, decade or two, if that has kind of beaten us into submission in, in terms of this stuff, I was just, I was looking back at how my career started and the things that I, the things that I got, the things that I rewrote, the things that I was up for and even the things that I'm like, you know that, that, that I'm knee deep in now, but it's like when I started writing in Hollywood probably 15 years ago. It was hey, you know, it was hey Ryland, we want you to write, we want you to write White Noise three, we want you to do the 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 Hitcher reboot. Um, hey, we have this team that's that that's doing a uh, a Last Dragon reboot. We want you to come and contribute to that a little bit. Um, and so, my entire early film career was remaking these these old properties. And, and and part of it was just you know that was the era we were in, but also they were movies that I grew up with and and I loved. But but I look at things now. Um, you know, set up, a, I, I, I just set up a, a TV series of Lionsgate. It was, a, it was a big splash tor- sort, sort of thing. And then the same thing happens, right? You make one move in TV and you know this better than anybody because you've been working on TV a lot long, longer than I have. But the people come and knock and, hey, what do you want to do next? Where do the opportunities come in? And so the, the thing I am talking with right now, I was sitting down with Joel Silver's people and we were talking about what uh, 48 hours would look like on television right now, what Roadhouse would look like on television right now. Uh, uh, and I don't know if that's going to go anywhere, but it is funny that these things keep popping up. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Whether it's comics, whether it's whether it's movies, whether it's TV shows, um, and part of it is the market, but part of it is us. You know, yeah, right. in our yeah. in our nostalgic programming. So,
2: well, I think you said it a moment ago when you said your heart. I think anything that you know, you can find folks who love that stuff. Like Cold Shack the Night Stalker is another one for me. That. Yeah. You know, Richard Matheson's first two movies of the weeks and Mm -hmm. you know, that's the kind of stuff that made me love horror. You know, that the hammer films, all of that stuff. So getting an opportunity to speak to a new generation from the perspective of what I loved as a kid, I do my best writing when I write from the heart. When I Mm -hmm. write from the head, you know, you can sort of kinda tell as much as I try to hide it. So Mm -hmm. um you know, you get to a place where you want to be able to speak to the stuff you love. So thus Blackula, thus anything with horror, thus Star Wars, any of those things that make me feel 12 years old.
1: I feel like I have pitched uh, cult. <laughs> Inver- It's
2: <laughs> yeah. almost like uh, an OCD wall, though, because everything is Perfectly, yeah. like Senate, they're so perfectly. I was looking; <laughs> everything is perfect, and I don't have that. I wish. I yeah, mine, kind of-
1: is, mine is chaos. Yeah, and know. mine is mine, chaos. Mine is, if you could see it right here. room. It's pretty like sure I look like a homeless guy. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I mean there, there, there's yeah. some chaos that I'm still sort of really. Oh, okay, okay. okay. You know, oh, like, oh, thank you. Thank you. He got to you, you got to be careful there's with your but back, yeah, though. yeah, but there's, yeah there's it's also,
2: Pretty impressive. Yeah. It's
0: pretty serial killer like yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Well, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Tablones in the bodies are very Oh, sure.
1: Yeah. Now, now the yeah. I, the blackula thing, where is that set up? I I can't remember.
2: Uh, I'm doing it through my own imprint. Through your
1: own imprint, uh, okay. Yeah,
2: Zombie Love Studios. But it took like six months to get the licensing stuff, and um, fortunately, they liked the work from Army of Darkness and James Bond. That actually mm-hmm. helped because it's like, okay, what's this guy going to do with Blackout? Sure. And um, and that
0: was that, that was that was MGM or it was MGM yeah. MGM okay. who yeah. I'd
2: worked with before, and Alana Mayo who I'd worked with before with a monster movie that I'm writing for New Regency now. So we had some semblance of a relationship and they helped and a lot of other folks helped, but, um, you know, just honored to be able to play in a place where I sat in the theater and saw a movie with my mother when I was a kid.
1: Sure. I get that. I, you know, we all have our dream license things. About five years ago, I came up with a, of all things, a Godfather story I wanted to do. And it's like I haven't even taken the first step at finding. You know, between Paramount and Coppola, I expect that's the <laughs> highest. The, the Luca highest... Brasi. The uh, no, there's, there's, no, there's something hiding in plain sight in The Godfather, okay. and it okay. really bugs the hell out of me. Okay. Uh, the way Michael Corleone is presented,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we're we're ex- we're asked to accept his family's impression of him. Mm-hmm which is that he's the nice boy, he's the good boy, he's not a psycho, he's not a killer, he's not a criminal. But right there in plain sight, he's a captain in the United States Marines who has just returned from the Pacific. Michael Corleone has killed hundreds of people. He has killed more people than Sonny, (laughs) like easily. Yes. And the, to me, the hidden thing in the movie is his family doesn't know that about him. They're still thinking he's December 6th, 1941, mm-hmm. Michael Corleone. So the thing I want to do starts with him being dropped off at Paris Island by Luca Bratsy, by uh, not Bratsy, by uh, Clemenza, saying, Mike, your father could get you out of this. You don't have to do it. You don't have to go to the Pacific. And so it would be from basic training to Iwo Jima. The war stuff, and it would be like, so it's why Michael is actually this simmering ball of PTSD and rage when we meet him at the wedding, but it's hit we it's under the surface you don't see it, and That's it's basically everything thought- that. The arc that you think you see in The Godfather is him becoming this guy, but literally three weeks ago, he was machine gunning people on an island <laughs> on an island in the Pacific, and we're asked to believe that this guy can't shoot a cop in the head in a restaurant. You know, it's nice. like, that's a walk in the park for Michael. We just don't, the movie lies to you a little bit about him so that that seems like a bigger moment, but I can't get over that uniform with the fruit salad in the bars, you know, like. Because also yeah. he's entering the he's entering the Marines as a as a buck private. He's not going to officer candidate school or anything. So literally battlefield commissions all the way up to captain in four years. You don't do that by not killing no. a lot no, of it's, people. It's brilliant. It, it would be anyway. The, it would be the Kurtz chronicles for me with oh, Kurtz sure. And sure. Apocalypse
2: and him in the cave before sure. you know Shane got to him.
1: But I actually used. <laughs> Uh, The first comic I ever wrote was called uh, Legendary Vampirella at Dynamite. And that was like a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen thing with some of Dynamite's license care with Vampirella and, you know, Red Sonja and all that. And as a villain, they originally offered me like the whole spectrum of their characters. And then at the last minute they said, oh, you can't have Ming the Merciless. You can't have this guy. You can't have this guy. You can't have this guy. And I was really stuck. And I noticed that Heart of Darkness had just gone into public domain. Wow. So the villain of Legendary uh, Vampirella is Kurtz from okay. the novel. Okay. Uh, who has a, who re- the version that survives what happens to him returns to the big city, a billionaire from the trade routes he, o- routes he opened in the jungle. And I basically, cl- because Orson Welles was obsessed with that story as well, I conflate Kurtz with Citizen Kane. And he's this, rich, he's this rich guy who's got K's on everything and runs for governor and all that. And it was huge fun to play with the Citizen Kane tropes, even without actually having permission to play with them, by using this sort of a public domain Citizen Kane. Very nice. But uh, anyway, Kevin, are there any licenses you're interested in that you don't have? Like, what's your dream license?
3: Um, I would really love to do uh, EAT uh comics so the michael Mann movie uh with al pacino oh, he, and, oh, yeah. wow. I, I yeah, love yeah. that film I'm really obsessed yeah. with that movie I can me watch too, it like man. 20 times yeah. a year incredible <laughs> yeah yeah it's a top five for me yeah. I had like a, I had, Oh, had man that movie is crazy like it, 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 there is like few movie that I call perfect and that that one is it's one of the I think that the eat uh the the scene when they ease the bank Outside mm. with all the gunshot, it's probably the best gunfight ever made on screen. It's yeah. it's just crazy. And in the comics, what I would like to do is actually the character of Val Kilmer. Uh, he is the only one to actually get out of, of the mess of, of the movie. And what I will wa- want to do is actually that the character of Val Kilmer get out of the city or just well hit the road. And, and you need to you go grab a coffee at the coffee shop that they had out uh, that Chino and the Negro had a conversation. But at the same time, the the character uh, Al Pacino goes to that coffee shop because he just killed a man, and just like the distress, he takes the same table, and the both characters we meet, and we go into a chase with those two characters, uh,
1: and it takes just place after a movie like that, and kind of had a, cha- a chapter between those two men. I love okay. that everybody does this, that you can't help it, that you insert yourself into the universe of the movie, and you come up with the. What's next? What do I What's want to next? have, yeah. have next? Yeah, I, I or, actually, or, or,
0: or, or what happened between here and there? Like my yeah. version of that is a Soprano story. It's what happened to the Russian.
1: Sure. You know? <laughs> Everybody yeah. wants to see that story. That is, yeah. that, is that is an absolute uh, that is an absolute thing everyone wants to see. I had a, I literally had a dream once, and it was the opening of a sequel to Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm. It was. It was, it was, uh, Charles Bronson is chopping wood outside a log cabin in the woods and two drifters come out of the smoke and shoot him to pieces. And it's Peter and Jane Fonda. (laughs) 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 Uh, Avenging the death of Henry Fonda from the end of, uh, from the end of once upon a time in the West. And I woke up and I was like, what the hell was that?
3: (laughs) But you know, this,
1: this stuff gets under your skin. Uh, what, Rodney, if I can ask, what uh, what's the shape of the Blackula project? Is it an ongoing? Is it going to be a graphic novel? Well, what do you have planned for it?
2: I've got one. Uh, I'm going to do three books. They're going to be full trades, each mm-hmm. one. It'll be a fully realized story because I don't have floppy money to just do every month. So it'll be the full
1: story, but mm-hmm. like a trilogy. Great. Awesome. Great. Roughly how many pages per trade? Have you thought about that yet? One
2: hundred and ten.
1: Great. Are, are, are you, you're going directly to comic shops?
2: Yeah, and well, and also uh, regular Amazon, all of that stuff too. But Scott Hampton uh, is doing the art; he's painting the book. So uh, whoa! So, wow. so nice. yeah, that's
0: good. have you um have you thought about Kickstarter? I know it's a weird question, but I, I feel thought like about you would, it. I, I feel like you would make like a million dollars on Kickstarter with yeah, this. Yeah, it's
1: kind of free money for a project like this. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean,
0: be like bonkers. Yep. I,
2: but I don't know anything. It was funny because uh, Jason Sean Alexander, uh, artist of Philadelphia, he was the first one that said Kickstarter. And I was like, it just seems like I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about Kickstarter other than supporting folks doing it. And mm-hmm. it's easier for me to just do what I'm doing. And maybe sure. at some point when I've become a little bit more savvy, um, yeah, So yeah.
0: Well, find, if somebody you get- to, find somebody to run it for
1: you, yeah,
0: here's the thing, and, and I, it's weird. I, I feel like I spend a lot of time on this show trying to convince other creators to do Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. But I was uh, I was like you. I was uh, I was worried about kind of wading into these waters. And and a lot of people tend to kind of write it off as like, OK, well, it's it's about money. It's, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the money is is good and you know it's great to be able to you know whatever make your budget back or make more or whatever and that's fine. Uh, the 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 biggest thing about it is it, it, you know is twofold. One, uh, there is a, a a massive, rabid, like wildly engaged audience there. Um, mm-hmm. There are people that buy their books exclusively in the comic shops, and then there are people that buy their books exclusively on Kickstarter, basically. And there is crossover. Uh, of course, but not nearly as much as you think. And so, um, so what I found after doing about three of these in a year is that, you know, there is this other audience that like most of us are not serving. And so if you're, if you don't, if you, if you aren't, if you don't have like toes in both waters, then you're kind of kind of doing your book, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice, but also like it becomes this big kind of promotional, uh, tool. So, so, I mean, you have your own label you're looking to make a splash with this release on your own, and of course, because it's you, because it's an interesting, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, title uh, property, pe- people will find it. But like a, a a big Kickstarter splash and then a comic shop release, um, it will be bigger, it will be badder. You know, you, right. you, you will you, you, you will have your explosion on Kickstarter, and then that will carry over. Like if you watched what they did with Berserker uh, at Boom. And you know, and of course, Keanu Reeves and whatnot. But it's like, but but I mean, these guys made you know they made two point one million dollars on Kickstarter, and then they took it and put it in comic shops, and it was it was the yeah. the best selling book of all time yeah. in yeah. comic shops after that, um, because it ended up being just such a a happening. And and Dynamite did a similar thing with Avalonni's last uh, El- Elvira, uh, and of course, you know, the numbers weren't as as insane because there was no uh, I mean, El- Elvira is massive, obviously, but. Not Keanu Reeves, massive, uh, 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 perhaps, but um, uh, some people might argue with me on that. But um, yeah. but it it ends up being this kind of promotional, uh, uh, mm-hmm. you know, nuclear bomb that goes off, and it's some. Um, there are people that will run it for you, man. Just You're to, convincing just look at me. It.
2: You're, convinced yeah, you're no, convincing. Yeah, reach, you, reach uh, out to. You're very. You're convincing me. It's very. Yeah, a, 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 a,
0: a, if you have questions, there. You know, yeah. there are a dozen creators like me who who will will. You know, All if you want hop right. on the phone and talk yeah. to yeah. it, I'm there for you. Yeah, cool. reach yeah, out. Reach out, me, have, reach out to me. Reach out to Ryland. We'll have coffee. People did, people, people did for it for me, and so I'm. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's
2: coming to that. I mean, the stuff that I'm doing through it's costing me an arm and a leg to to get this whole thing off the ground, and you know I don't mind spending the money, but. Um, it would be nice to have some semblance of that's what it does funding for you. that helps right. so that my kids don't have to they really want to go to Disneyland
1: that's the thing about Kickstarter it's excellent for seed money it's excellent to, to give you that boost so that you're not reaching into your pocket and yeah it costs a little bit to set up a Kickstarter it costs there's a certain amount of amount of time money and sanity that goes into uh, having one but uh man, Blackula—that's slam dunk. And yeah. Blackula, Blackula with you—that's a slam dunk. And just to give you like Thank for a forty-page Elvira comic, we I think we raised one hundred and seventy k. Uh, the budget was significantly lower than that. <laughs> like I can I can I can say that the two I did with uh Kevin Eastman for a no-name book that no one had ever heard of, we raised hundred and six k on one hundred twenty-four k on wow. the other. So mm-hmm. like, the it's fan base, and as again, there you know, in my case, it was it was people who loved and knew Kevin, and people who love and know me, whatever you know. That tiny, the the mouse versus the elephant that is Kevin. Uh, with you, you've got Blackula, which people don't have to know who you are to love Blackula. This is true, and to be and to be interested in it. That's always you know, and people have made money. You don't have to be Keanu Reeves. You just have to have a product that people want. Yeah. And what Rylan was talking about is there are people, once you, and the great thing about a Keanu Reeves type project is the big hill to climb, and we've talked about this before, is that you need customers to have backed a Kickstarter, set up the account, you know, like doing it the first time is a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Millions of people did it the first time for the Keanu Reeves thing, True. which creates an audience that then has a login to Kickstarter and has a credit card connected to Kickstarter and all that. Those people get emails saying, Hey, check this out, check this out, check this out. And you know, you get into a place where, you know, I have a lot of friends that do these Kickstarter campaigns. I am constantly getting emails recommending to me my own friends projects back to me because they go, Oh, you like this kind of thing. You know, I guarantee if you started a a Kickstarter for Blackula, I would get an email saying, Hey, did you know Rodney Barnes has a kickstarter going for Blackula? That's pretty cool. So, well, uh, again, not to push it book too hard, 2 and but, 3,
2: you know, there will be a couple of other books, so, you know, books 2 and 3 I may consider.
1: Yeah. You guys are very persuasive. Totally. It's
2: a
3: and,
1: No, go ahead.
3: Yeah, cool. Uh personally like what I hate the most in the world is actually shipping shit. And uh so when I do my campaigns, uh, I work with fulfillment company. So mm-hmm. I just set up a campaign, do my marketing and shit and uh when it's done, it's done. Someone taking care of the shipping on my stuff because if I was the man doing the shipping, probably my rewear will be due for twenty twenty eight. You know, yeah. so so I have someone taking care of the I, because I I think that you probably did that with your first campaign as well, guys. Shipping your stuff and when you get like hundreds or, or thousands of backers, man, it can take. So many times. You you will transform your apartment, your house into a warehouse for a couple of weeks and just go insane. And uh, you will say, well, I started to write books to write, not to be Amazon. So, (laughs) And that's why I work with Fulfillment Company. And since I love Kickstarter again, I had like a moment. I was like, oh, fuck it. Now I just do Direct Market and Diamonds and (laughs) Simons and Schuster's. I never touch Kickstarter again. And I did it again with... um fulfillment company and now i'm like oh kickstarter is cool i love it
1: so you know you you, when we did our first kickstarter me and kevin i think we put we set aside 10 grand in the budget just for like stuff we don't want to have to deal with (laughs) you know like the actual and kevin has some infrastructure he has some people that work for him they've been working for years and years and years we basically like we didn't want them to have to deal with this at their salaried positions we're like this is the bonus money they get for doing the Kickstarter stuff for us, uh, and again, that fell very neatly within the the budget we had already set up. Uh, so you know, again, it's it's not the it's certainly not the only way to go, but for for a project as buzzy as Blackula, I would I I definitely consider it uh, for sure. Cool. But uh, but yeah, no, it, it like I said, I think every creator. Everyone who does this kind of stuff for a living, you got those things where you're like, man, you know, every every time I go back and watch an old episode of UFO, I'm like, why does nobody have this license for me? Why is there not a company? Why didn't IDW grab UFO? Didn't they have Space 1999 for a minute, but they didn't have UFO. It's crazy. Um, And uh, speaking of Michael Mann, you know, Crime Story is one of my favorite TV Mm. series of all times. I don't know that there's a comic book in Crime Story, but give me a chance and I will try. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I will I will I will give that I will give that a shot but uh yeah and the army of darkness thing I'm curious about. Did you were you approached for that? Did you come up with a pitch for it? I was it?
2: approached for Army of Darkness and James Brown. Uh, James Brown. That would be a kick. Story. That would be cool, man. Uh, <laughs> James Bond. Uh, James, James Bond
1: meets James Brown is the comedy. Yes, yes, I
2: think James would. Uh, James Bond would have his hands full. But yeah. Uh, yeah, they approached me. Dynamite approached me with both. And Kevin, just so you know, I was a production assistant on the movie Heat. Nice. So, uh, He's on oh, yeah. that
0: Banjax cover.
2: James yes. the
0: back, little uh, Rocky for him,
2: uh, Yes. Like, there you go. there <laughs> you go. So yeah, they came to me.
1: Nice. And, uh, and you just said pitch something or did they have an idea? I, of no,
2: I them? pitched, I came up with um, a take for both. And um, they said, we've never heard of anything like that before with either property, which I didn't know whether it was good or bad, but they gave me the job. So we'll see how they land. So,
1: Nice, yeah, I've been lucky with like that with Dynamite when they've come to be with things they 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 rarely have parameters. they're just yeah. like Betty Page. Just what, do you, what do you what do you want to do with her? I'm like, okay, that's a that's a thought um, but it's yeah, it's frightening, but it, that kind of freedom uh, in well, any kind of professional work is so rare.
2: The thing that Rylan uh, was talking about with coming from television, uh, for me, television and film, where I have really strict boundaries that I have to operate within, mm-hmm. and then go into comics where do what you want. That's the part that's terrifying because I've been conditioned to have someone say no, you can't do that, or massive yeah. notes from twenty people, or you know, dial-in calls with a bunch of you know voices telling me what I have to change, right. and here. You know, not so much. I just turn a script in and then Was that was that i
1: I'm surprised. Was that your your experience with James Bond as well? I thought they were yeah. a pretty hands-on license. They oh, were,
2: they were hands-on with the outline. They haven't been so much hands-on with the actual scripts themselves. Um I have to turn Bond in a little earlier than anything else. So it goes through the estate and all of yeah. that. But um so far, unless one day I get this email with five or six scripts in it. So right. change everything. Yeah. So far it's been pretty pretty seamless. I just, yeah, that's
1: been my experience yeah. with uh, Elvira just because it's uh, she's very busy and it sometimes takes her a while to read scripts and respond. She's been very encouraging and has loved everything I've written and I get like two Great. joke suggestions per issue but because I usually, because of the production schedules of comic books and the rush, I tend to not Finally, hone my dialogue on a first pass because mm-hmm. the guy can start drying if the dialogue is going to change right. it doesn't matter that much with elvira it has to be a final draft because the jokes have got to work like yeah. it's the jokes have got to be great if the jokes aren't great i'm in trouble and then we got to do do four more rounds of approvals it's like i got to get it approved the first time so like it changed my way of I at Dynamite, I've been a little lazy about dialogue in the past. I'm like, I'll rewrite all of this once Acosta draws it. Uh, Like, as as long as the physical action is the same, I can finally tune this dialogue later. But with Elvira, it's like, nope, joke's got to fucking hum that first time she reads it, or I'm in trouble.
2: I sent an email to Dynamite to my editor, and I was like, do you like this stuff? Like, is it good? Because you haven't said
1: anything. I always. He's
2: like, I
1: always I always know. say that to I always say Ry, Rybant is like Don Draper. Yes. yes. You know, it's yes. like it's it, I asked him once. I was like you've never actually told me you like the script and he's like I hire you for something every 6 months, right? And yeah. I'm like, "Yes." He's like, "Well then I guess the scripts are good, aren't <laughs> yeah. they?" I'm like, yeah. well, yeah. Okay, I'm not I don't need, you know, I'm not fine. You a don't have to late. I have yeah. to say he
2: gets on me about being late yes. because I am you know, and yeah. it's like a coach. It's like, come on, Barnes. You know, you can get yeah. more rebounds. You know, hustle. Awesome. Yeah. I get that yeah. type of email, but I don't get anything about content. And yeah, that's I get that.
1: the first time I wrote a script for Dynamite, the very first time, and again, like you, I'm used to the heavy, ugly notes world of yes. movies and television. First time I handed in a script, I waited a week and I heard heard nothing, mm-hmm. and I called up another a colleague who was writing for dynamite and i was like oh i guess ryband hated the script and he's like dude someone's halfway done drawing it already are you kidding yeah. <laughs> i yeah. was like but they haven't said anything he's like they haven't said anything because you're done <laughs> i was like oh okay i guess i'll start working
2: on the second <laughs> no script news now. is good
1: news yeah, yeah um, three no scripts in. i'm
2: three scripts in and
1: like crickets yeah Just, uh, on know. bond or on army of darkness um both
2: um, um, both and absolutely nothing
1: yeah no, I can't. Like I said, it would be nice to get a pat on the head, but I do um,
2: another book for Oni Press, uh, uh-huh. Incredible, and mm-hmm. um, notes. Notes. I'm still addressing notes. I'm probably addressing notes on the stuff that's already been published. I think I'm still addressing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I, so, I, yeah.
1: That's the thing, you know. Someone once asked me in confidence what Dynamite pays me, and I said they pay me a third of what Dark Horse would pay me but I only write it that one time instead of the four times yes. that Dark Horse would have That's me write. That's an excellent
2: point. That's an excellent point. You yeah,
1: know, like I'm actually making more money than most Marvel writers. Yeah. On a per time, you know, on an hourly wage, Yeah, Dynamite pays more than Marvel because they don't actually and, ask you for any revisions.
2: And I can say the work that I just put in on the Star Wars books, the last, uh, the one I just did and the ones I'm about to do, you know, it's thirty pages, so it's long, but it is a lot of drafts. It's a lot of notes. It's a lot yep. of the process mm-hmm. is more involved with you know the different steps and stuff. So.
1: Sure. When I was so, that's a great thing. When I was writing Star Wars, nobody cared. Like, no one. No. No one was Weird. watching. George Lucas was not reading it and saying uh, he says the wrong thing here on this page. It's like no nope. well,
0: well, that's my question, Rodney. I assume like you're writing Star Wars and you're getting notes from Marvel, but are there also, you know, these are the there are also these other layers. I mean yeah, like, they, the keepers of, of Star Wars are coming in and saying, yeah, well... Yeah.
2: my editors are great, and I think the process that they go through, and they did this for Lando as well. Is you get both sets of notes at the same time. So yeah. when they send the script back, it's got the um, the Lucasfilm stuff and the Marvel stuff at the same time. So you're making uh, adjustments for both. It's not like it goes to one and then it goes to the other. So that helps. It's now,
1: Do more, they do the do the notes <laughs> do the yeah do the notes contradict each other and do they do they ever work that out? For so
2: you? far, I've been fortunate with um, you know most of it is. You know, you can't say that because we're doing that over there. And Mm. don't do this because this wouldn't happen there. Do that. It's mostly um, continuity to what they're doing in TV and film. So that's mostly
1: what the Lucasfilm notes are, are continuity notes. Yeah, for the most part. This is one of the great mysteries of licensing to me that I've wondered about since the early 80s. Between Empire Strikes Back and Jedi walt simonson wrote a run of star wars comics where the empire builds a second death star and the rebels help bit destroy it with the help of a race of forest dwelling adorable creatures they were rabbits instead of teddy bears if i remember correctly and i've always wondered did you know did 1982 kathleen kennedy read that and say if we tell them they can't do this everybody will know the plot of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> like, why didn't they stop Walt Simonson from basically doing Return of to... Because I remember sitting in Return of the Jedi and going, Walt Simonson had been doing this for last year in 10 issues of Star Wars. So I don't I don't know what's going on there. And I believe, um, you know... You <laughs> there we go. ...as well, so yeah. Nice. Nice. Whatever you do, don't ask Chaykin to sign that for you. Okay. <laughs> you won't... He'll no do it, but he'll be, he'll be, he'll be grumpy about it. Uh, he, he does, he, he does not think that's his best work and I'm not sure it, that I disagree with him about that.
0: <laughs> it, it's funny, Rodney, to hear you make, um, this point that I, I, I've made on this podcast any number of times about, um, I don't know, comics being a kind of playground, you know, uh, um, I mean, it's kind of one of my go-to points here where, I mean, I, before I started doing comics, I had been, you know, a working writer in Hollywood for about a dozen years, right? Um, and over the course of that time, you know, the, the independent film movement dried up and, and moved on to television and original ideas were kind of cast aside and the IP movement kind of, you, know, uh, 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 you know, took hold, took charge. And, I, you know, I think that we've come to a place where Hollywood kind of makes, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly a feature writer, moved on to television recently, but, um, but Hollywood makes about five different kinds of films right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and and they want them all written a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got really good at writing those five films. I mean, they, they bought my house, and they bought all this junk there I you have go. on the yes. <laughs> um, uh, But, you know, and I hate being the guy who, like, I sound like an asshole being the guy who, who complains about getting to write movies for a living. Um, but it got old, it got tired, and, and and more, you know, more I guess devastatingly, like, my my work got stale it got tired you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. and so after about a dozen years of doing it not having to do anything else thankfully i was like well i don't i don't know if with the way i'm going i have another 12 years of this and you know what i'm saying like I'm, i'm gonna burn out i'm going to i don't know i'm gonna crack and like you know go to antarctica and look for you know uh meteorites or something like that um And comics save my creative life. Like, you know, it sounds like I mean, because here's the question is like, you have a ton going on in TV and movies. And so Mm -hmm. so this question keeps popping up. Like, why? Why does Rodney, you know, instead of sitting down and watching like the NBA playoffs, why are you locked up in your office writing, you know, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. Army of Darkness comics? Right. Yes. And 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 the thing is, I know the answer because it's the same reason why I'm locked up in this office, <laughs> you know, write, writing writing uh, uh, my stuff because like comics kind of saved my creative life. It's like you said, mm-hmm. it's like you can um, you can do anything in comics, uh, any kind of story you can write it any kind of way as long as it's good. As long as it's good, it will find an audience. As long as it's good, like a smart editor, a smart company will embrace it. Um, it's an
2: exercise in writing as well. Yeah. That actually, you know, because sometimes when you work in the industry, it feels like a job. Yeah. And with this, it feels like there's an innocence to it that I can connect to. That still feels like I'm getting better because the repetition of storytelling, like consistently telling stories again and again and again, um, I think more often than not makes you better at it.
1: Yeah. Yep. I think that. Yeah, was definitely true. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, when I, when I
0: moved into comics, I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to spend time and money doing this, I'm going to make it count. Right. And so I made a promise to myself that I was never going to tell a straightforward story. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, I I promised myself that I was going to kind of double down on playing with time and playing with structure and unreliable narrators and, uh, and experimental elements and all of these toys that I felt all these tools that I felt like I had to kind of leave on the shelf in my 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 traditional studio film work, mm-hmm. um, I just went berserk with. I mean, the um, uh, uh, you know my my comic Banjax uh, issue two of Banjax uh, is told from the point of view of a man who hasn't slept in seven days and he's literally being driven mad. Wow. Um, and so you don't know you don't know if what you're seeing is is real if it's not like to <laughs> to what degree it is and isn't. Um, mm-hmm. It's essentially a Batman and Robin story, right? So uh so Batman kind of goes crazy and Robin has to go and bring him in. Uh that, that that's the you know the the short undercutting version of it. But um but the uh the odd issues are told from the Batman's point of view, the even issues are told from the Robin's point of view. Each guy is telling the same story, but he's mm-hmm. telling a very different slanted, you know, uh, uh 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 you know, um sort of prejudiced version of it. And you don't know in the end, you're not given answers in the end. So you are left to kind of figure out, okay, well, what do I believe from this side? What do I believe from that side? And, um, and it was, it was awesome. You know, like for, for the first time in, in, in like years, I was like alive again, writing and, um, and then that seeped into the rest of my life in a really interesting way. I was happier. Mm -hmm. I was happier and more present with my four year old, you know, Mm um, uh, more than that. Um, you know, I, I I I talked about this this TV show I just set up, and that was this interesting story because it's uh it's a heist deal, um and I have over the course of my career written I don't know four or five you know good solid heist movies, but they were basically all the same. They were all variations on one thing. Yeah, you know better than anybody. Any production company you walk into in Hollywood has two heist films going, and again mm-hmm. they're all the same. Most of them don't get made because they're all the Sorry. same. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and that, unless Michael Mann steps up or something like that and says I want to make this mine um, but so I'm, so I'm sitting there and I'm getting paid a good chunk of change to write this thing um, and I'm like okay well I can, I can phone in another standard heist thing uh, and they would pat me on the head and send me off it probably wouldn't get made or all of this shit that I'm doing in comics that makes me feel alive and excited about you know creating and writing again what if I just took all that stuff and I did it in this um, and so I said, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> Why not? What do I have to lose? And I did it. And I didn't tell him I was going to do it. I I, I I poured all of this stuff into it. And I'm playing with time and structure and unreliable narrators. And you know, it, it's this thing where you do have these dueling uh, narrators again, and and they're button heads, and they're, they're 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 trying to piece together this story, but but you know, they're they're not quite figuring it out. And it was it was bonkers in the best way. Um, and it was it was new, and it was different and it was interesting and it was challenging. And, um, and I turned this thing in again, without warning anybody. And, um, and, you know, there's like a, there's like a prescribed time for this stuff, right? You hear back in this amount of time. And I didn't hear back. And I'm like, holy shit, I must have really, I must have really ruffled feathers with this thing. What did I do? I'm crazy. And I had a sleepless night or two. Finally, we all, we all get on a conference call as happens. The, the, the conference call you were talking about with way too many people on it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, everybody with an opinion, like everybody has an asshole and I expect to just get reamed and, 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 and it starts out kind of, I don't know, stilted and they're like, we read it. There's way too long a pause. And they're like, we fucking love it. <laughs> like, where, where right. did you come up with this shit? You know? Awesome. Uh, and they're like all this crazy shit that you're doing, like go and do more of it, double down on it. And then, and then eventually this thing started out as a movie uh the material proves to be too rich and it gets built out into kind of this mini series and 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 and, and because it was so weird and crazy and different we have actors coming on and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and then suddenly it becomes this thing and it was like it was like you know um so again like i go back to you know why is rodney barnes (laughs) sitting in his office writing army of darkness it's because like uh you are connecting with some sort of like um I don't know, what is this like primal creative like energy, right? That like fuels everything else, right? Mm -hmm. And it
2: just feels um, like you said before, there's a place where for me, the cynicism of working within the margins um, sort of goes away and I can go to my heart. I can write from my heart and that's sort of what Philadelphia is and all the licensed stuff that we're talking about right now. It speaks to an ability to go beyond what you know, some of the other work I've done has allowed me to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I have to imagine, too. I mean, it's like you're 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 working on, you know, a, a Lakers TV show now and, and, mm-hmm. and, and you probably can't talk too much about that. Uh, however, a it, 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 and it's interesting that it is a licensed property, essentially. So there are mm-hmm. parallels here. However, um, that stuff happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like that. We're we're
2: going through a thing right now where that's a real discussion about how close we have to stick to what really happened. Um, It's becoming, I won't say it's problematic, but there is a thing about how we tell the stories, how we tell the stories. You know, do we have to stick to reality, reality, like a documentary or where does the creative license begin in it?
0: Interesting. I'm I'm very intrigued. Yeah, it's,
2: it's now, nice to be intrigued on the fringes. To have to,
0: rather than dealing with it every
2: day, it's not. Fun. <laughs>
1: there, there is that, Kevin. In the in the the license stuff that you're doing, what's your relationship like with the licensors? Have they given you a free reign? Have they let oh, you do what you me. want to do? It's always
3: different. So, for example, we deal, uh, we do books with Ubisoft,
1: and Ubisoft—it's
3: a big corporate, you know. So, (laughs) so, for example, and I'm writing a book right now uh, for one of the Ubisoft properties, as as dealing with some editing for other uh, Ubisoft properties, and uh, a Ubisoft call is that maybe like 10% on the dev team. So one that was on the design, the other that was a writer for the games after we got uh, the game producer and we got the publishers in friends that are the Ubisoft guys that jump in. So we are, it's com- It's it's kind of a, it's getting to the situation, like you said, uh, a- a lot of people in the room and we, we talk about something and uh, <laughs> it's a cast, right. but it's super cool. It's a kind of, it's an experience. It's a super interesting uh, experience to work with you beyond that. And we, we are working with a lot of film studios as well. And uh, I think it's, it's kind of when it's come to comics, I feel that every company kind of have their different views of the comic medium for a lot of companies, just like a merchandise and they don't really take care just like, Oh, okay, here's the, you, you, you right. paid the advent for the property. Now uh, just like get the covers approved and the outline of the book. And that's fine because anyway, it's comics. There is like 20% of the <laughs> other people that really read the comic. Right. So <laughs> it's fine. Uh, do whatever you want with it. But when it's come to, uh, I will say like triple late, properties uh it's it's where we get into those rooms with a lot of uh a lot of people that are saying what they need to say and sometimes it's kind of ridiculous as you know like right. uh the the, the 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 both of the, uh, the, the the game studios or film production company would say hey my my um <laughs> my, my little girl really loves cats can you put a cat in the comic
1: sure sure
3: yeah <laughs> so we we have both relations like for example we're working with raven banner that did like the sobo kid movie uh psycho gorman and we're doing those type of EPs into comics right now and those are super cool because they are indie filmmakers that, that are behind an indie production company and what mm-hmm. they want is just like expand their brands and they don't care like it's a, it's an opportunity for them it's an opportunity for us so when it's come to a win-win situation and you're not dealing with a company that see it as a, well, it's, you know, like MGM, for example, they don't care if we give them like a 10k more in their pocket, you know, it's nothing for them. It's like, right. So, so it's more dealing with an exchange of merchandise in some way. Right. And when it's come to indie production and the games or indie movies, it's become really an expansion of the brand for them and they are more not Happy is maybe not the right term, but they're more involved and more mm-hmm. uh, going the same direction than you.
1: Because it's a bigger it's a bigger percentage of their of their work. Totally bigger, yeah, totally. It means more to them. What was are You're doing a book that's ba- that's a Netflix show, right? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, we we have some
3: in our roster right now, and uh, and I did publish as a publisher the MFKZ book that is right. a movie that. Streaming on Netflix, and it was uh, done by Studio f- for Celsius that did about uh, Batman Adam uh, Gotham Knight and mm-hmm. the Animatrix. So, okay. uh, and uh, we just we just released it this week. Uh, and uh, nice. the reception been crazy. Sold forty five thousand copies of the number one, so it was a that's good very a good number one.
1: <laughs> now, for <laughs> for work. an indie comic, that's an that's an incredibly good number, uh, as I'm sure you know. But, yeah. Now, is uh, that- is that comic a direct – is it just an adaptation of the movie or does it go beyond the movie? What's the What's the premise?
3: So what's interesting about it is actually that since I'm French and that, that property is actually French, it's a French comic. So it was published first in France and uh-huh. uh, when I started the publishing game, the first thing I wanted to do is bring MFKZ to the US because it's one of my uh, – I got the French one right here. It's one of my favorite comics ever, but look at this. It's a really yeah, fat yeah. book. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. So, and it's, I love that property, and uh, so that was the first thing I wanted to do, because I was like, why no one did bring it to the States? So I did reach out to the creator and the movie director, He's the same guy that did the comics and the movie, and I said, hey man, I will really love to bring it to the U.S., and he, he, the first reply he said to me is actually, what the fuck? Everyone said <laughs> ever in my life it will be impossible to make mfkz work in the us because this, it will not connect with the american audience mm-hmm. and what i just replied just i'm a french guy probably i don't know anything about the u.s market and i'm the, I'm the crazy one for it and right. uh, so and uh for like a, maybe six or eight months we started to negotiate the rights with Ankema uh that own the property and is a video game studio in france really famous they did, uh, they did like walk food office like a couple of big uh games that are bigger in, in europe uh but um uh, but yeah it's been uh we had like a good eight month of negotiation for the ep and uh everyone thought i was wrong with it so i'm, I'm happy to
1: see well, you've, you've, happy. you've been vindicated that's great and is the comic the french comic with translated uh text or did you have redo the comic entirely it was already translated, actually. Oh, okay.
3: uh, Run the Trader was saying to me like, "No one believes," but all the books were already translated because he really wanted to bring it to the U.S. at some point, point. and uh, so that was Evan. My, my job so was, it was already that. so it was already right.
1: standing by, finished. They just had totally, never released totally. it. That's amazing. Totally.
3: So that, that was super cool. When, when you grab something, and they say, oh, yeah, it's already translated. It's pretty good. So, yeah. And the translation was done by uh, Dan Christensen that did actually a translation recently as well for Carmen that has been released at Image Comics. So uh, it's okay. he's really good at translating shit. So <laughs> when, I, when I got the book, I was like, OK, that's 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 fire. Let's release it. And the reception this week has been awesome. So uh, we are super happy with it.
1: That's great. Congratulations. Thank you, man. Well, I want to. We usually wrap up by asking people where where we can find them and where, where their next thing is. And, uh, Rodney, why don't we start with you? Where can people find you on the internet and, uh, what's, what's next out for you? Uh,
2: you can find me, uh, on Instagram and Twitter at the Rodney Barnes or RodneyBarnes.com. Uh, what's next for me? Um uh, there's always Philadelphia. There's a spinoff of Philadelphia coming in awesome. October. Um, What's
1: the title of the Philadelphia spinoff? You say? Uh,
2: Nita Haw's Nightmare Blog. It's um, part of the Philadelphia world, but it's set in Baltimore, and it's about demons and um, a paranormal investigator. That's set, sort of kind of sounds like a name that uh, I mentioned earlier when we were talking. Um, okay. Cool. But nice. um, you'll find that the Star Wars books, the Army of Darkness books, um, James Bond, or James Brown. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> a bunch of stuff coming.
0: So yeah. we're, we're, we're breaking news here, guys. Yeah. James Bond. Double Soul. Double Soul. <laughs> James, the the got a, have, a, have to run with. Run wild with this. Rodney Barnes has announced his new James Brown book yeah. on this
1: show. So <laughs> get it Stop out running. Here. I'm coming to
2: get you. You know good.
1: He's gonna jump back and kiss himself yes, right. two right. times. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. And uh, Kevin, where can people find you and what do you got coming next? Just before,
3: I'm really cur- curious okay. uh, runney uh If you had, like, to cast a black cooler now, who, who would be the actor? Oh, my goodness.
2: Um, Who would be black cooler for me now? I mean, I still have William Marshall
1: stuck It's hard. In my yeah. head.
2: It's hard to get past that original guy. But I'm sure, you know, if Morgan Freeman were a little younger, you know, I think mm. it would be cruel right now to yeah. have Morgan Freeman try to fly. Um, but someplace one of those Andy, Duf- Andy
1: Dufresne had delicious blood.
2: There, there you go, there you go. <laughs> you know, he wouldn't be outside on an island right now, yeah, he, yeah. wouldn't be in Zay It would be like, yeah, it,
1: it is hard to think of, like William Marshall, what he had going for him. It was an American actor with that great Shakespearean, yeah, Othello, delivery, that and that thing. voice. Yeah, right. And there are just yes. not a lot of guys out there. No. And it felt like Valer Lagosi. It
2: felt Mm -hmm. like it felt like the classic Universal version, even though you know some of the storytelling was problematic. But him as Blackula was fantastic. So it's hard to get that to say, "Oh, this guy," you know, because
1: he was so dignified. I mean, I I think people would try and sell you on uh, on Idris, but I it's he doesn't exactly have that.
2: No, it's a different quality. Because it, it's not about sexiness per se. No. It's almost like Tony Soprano, right. to where yeah. Gandolfini made Tony Soprano sexy. No. He wasn't necessarily sexy like in the classic way, like a Brad Pitt or someone like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he was a sexy guy in the way that he carried himself and the way he looked at you know people and it was empowering. He, he, power, he just
0: grabbed you, right? I yeah, he just had scary. a thing that was yeah.
2: unique that was beyond the physical stuff, and I think. A blackula, a Dracula, vampires that are imposing in that way—they have to have
1: that type of quality. I have the guy who has the voice for it. Uh oh, Keith David. <laughs> Keith David. Keith David. Well, sure.
2: <laughs> when you, when you awesome. said you were going, so when someone said they were going to Antarctica uh, to, uh, you're the right? Media, yeah, you well, running to Keith David. Keith David is still up there, you're right? You know, with Kurt Russell yeah. waiting,
1: you know, <laughs> for the <laughs> sun to come up. Because but yeah, Keith, Keith David has that incredible he rich, does. the gravitas. richness of voice yeah, and the yeah, gravitas. Yeah, yeah. I think that would the, be cool. yeah. to the degree yeah. that we have a living William Marshall, I'm going to go with Keith David.
2: I, I so, wouldn't. That wouldn't. I wouldn't argue with you on that one.
1: Silverthroat on Instagram for those who want to follow him. He's a there delight. You go. There um, you go. But yeah, Kevin, what do you got coming next and where can people find you? That was a great question, by the way. It was. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I wanted you to say John David Washington, man.
1: (laughs) I was hoping for that. I would love to see that.
3: Yes. (laughs) That'd be interesting yes well, I'm like, or his daddy you know sure his daddy for daddy sure, yeah. that sure. Be super cool. yeah. i'm sure. like i'm obsessed with uh, with john david washington's Tenet. like that movie man i can watch Tenet like 20 times a week God, i really Did love it
2: that's how you it's so good yes yeah. so <laughs> good
3: it's so good <laughs> so well, well uh we have a lot of stuff coming up uh, since i published not just like my own book because if if I was just picking out my own books, like to release a year that I do because I'm too busy with publishing. But yeah, we, we got MFTs just dropped it. Uh, my own series that is ongoing right now, Freak Snow. We follow up Scattered Attic in a Wasteland. It's like Mad Max uh, meet Loaded in Las Vegas, for example. And uh mm-hmm. that's pretty much the series. I'll i could describe it. And uh speaking of licensed titles, uh, we have our next uh, licensed release that just dropped it in previews now. Sorbo uh, Kid, uh, Kid adaptation. It's uh, They got a, uh, an indie movie that been released in 2015. There is a video game coming out in 2022. 20, and a second movie coming out soon. So uh, we released this one now, the number one, just in the preview. So check this out. It's done by the directors. So the di- writer-directors wrote the comics. And the storyboard artist of the movie did the art of the comics. Oh, nice. So it's... Nice. it's so the vision is this, it's really the right one, you know.
1: Cool. Cool. And Ryland, where can people <clears throat> find you and what do you have next?
0: Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. Uh, if you're listening, that's uh, I spell it because it's not a real name. My parents kind of drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And now I have to spell it for you. <laughs> um my uh uh my the ringo award-winning uh Aberance and the uh four-time ringo-nominated fan are available in fine comic shops everywhere and via amazon and Comi- comiXology and all of that nice stuff um after uh proselytizing a little bit uh about it my kickstarter books uh, my astral projection thriller the jump and my fargo-esque crime drama uh, the Peacekeepers, uh, which um, uh, were my Kickstarter books, they are available now via Backer Kit. If you missed out on those, if you go to the Jump one word, the Jump Two, the number two, the Jump Two. you can find all that stuff and signed copies of Everett and Banjax and Maracan variants and all of that stuff. Um, as I said at the top of the show, uh, my new Tokusatsu joints, uh, which um, in a nutshell I lay out as uh, uh, Voltron meets Fast and the Furious. Um, it is a badass blistering romp. You're going to love it. It's a ton of fun. Uh, that is available uh, for pre-order in comic shops now. It starts dropping in August. Uh, you'll see four issues of that to start, and then uh, more and more more. So uh, get on board. It's going to be fun.
1: Awesome. And you can find me most easily at com. <laughs> that has the branching off to all of the social medias and what's going on. I also do a podcast called Pulp Today, where I read classic pulp fiction, sometimes with a guest, um, and talk about it. And uh, the next comic coming is Elvira meets Vincent Price, which, as I've said on the show before, if you understand that title and you like it, there's very little else I need to tell you about the comic. You should read it. Uh, If you dig those people, you will dig this comic. Elvira is involved with it, and Vincent Price's daughter uh, they both have approval on it, and they've been enjoying what, uh, what's coming so far. Art by Juan Samu, who keeps posting stuff on Twitter. Uh, I think he has permission from Joe Ryband at Diamond Dynamite to post the, the screen grabs that he's posting. Uh, and that's looking great. And I got two other Elvira projects in the pipeline coming. Uh, and more coming from me and Kevin Eastman. But that stuff is top secret. Until next time, thank you guys. Thanks for being terrific guests. Thanks and for having me. we'll, you. well, we'll see you Thank on you the guys. next exciting episode. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to
0: smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block.